at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy We Want a Dame Week. Yeah, happy Clemsiversary. <laughs> An annual holiday where we get to engage with a fan base who's actually not that angry at us this time around, which is nice. So it's still early. We're We're, we're only on Tuesday. I mean, none of our players have dared say that they like another player on our team. So, so clearly, we haven't spoke spoke the flames yet. God forbid. Uh, before we jump in, just want to give a quick read to our sponsor, Audible.com. They're your leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Over on Audible.com, you can listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. And there are special arrangement with them. You can get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician. I'd go ahead and do that. But uh, Dan and I got to finally meet in real life, which is pretty awesome. I got to check off meeting both Sean and Dan in like a month and a half span. I was, I was psyched about that. Yeah, we should put together some kind of like uh, some kind of like list or, or book where you can go across the the world and check off the various contributors to our fine website. <laughs> Surprisingly like a, more difficult. Syracuse. Like the ultimate where's Waldo. <laughs> Obviously, Sean and I make it a little bit more difficult on everyone. But um, how was the rest of your time in North Carolina? I know uh, both of us left on Sunday, right? Yeah, uh it was I didn't really get any spare time. Um I was I uh, I was with 11, 12 if you count a 1-year-old uh other m- members of my family. Uh so I was either doing that or working or at the football game. So it was a uh, it wasn't like uh you know a lot of time to go check out the various other things in the area, but it was fun nevertheless. So and always did to have a win. It might have been a a less happy trip had uh, had my brother's team and not mine won, but uh, definitely a good time. Fair, fair. And so I guess you know, diving into a little bit of uh, the way Forest game before we jump into the following week. Um, you know, there were so many good things that happened, but obviously it wasn't perfect. What was, I guess, the glaring? 
it was the only thing that went just unequivocally right for for Syracuse in your eyes. Um, I mean, yes, there were the two defensive touchdowns, and like it, it's one of those things where obviously that doesn't happen every week. I think we found that it was the first time since 1966 that Syracuse got two touchdowns from the defense. But it's not like this team hasn't been forcing turnovers. They've been doing that all year. Um, so I definitely think this has been, you know, it's probably the, the highlight game of what has been a, a fairly aggressive um, and, on the, at least on the defensive side, opportunistic uh, unit. Um, unfortunately, the offense hasn't always taken advantage and scored or, or you know, when the defense has given them short fields. But against Wake, obviously, the defense didn't really – need any of the offense's help because uh, we had Mike Robinson and Rob Welsh uh, return two different turnovers for touchdowns. So that was great. Um, they ba- it basically, aside from the one 91-yard drive, which I admit made me really nervous when it happened, um, the defense played as you would hope it would play against Wake. Uh, they rushed a little bit better than you know you might think, but you can't expect every team to hold Wake to under 100, under uh, like 30 yards or whatever. I mean, I think they rushed for, what, 60 or 70 against us, so you know, a little better than their average, but still not good. Um, so overall, the defense was just really good. Uh, they rebounded well from that long drive. They set the tone all game. They uh, were very physical. So happy with that effort for sure. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I know I kind of like talked to some people on the site today. Uh, and, and my big issue is, it has been with the defense, is just, you know, stressing big plays over – over sound coverage, and they did a much better job of providing some real consistent coverage um, against Wake than they have against the previous teams. Um, obviously, the turnovers are big. Well, what I really did like, though, was, you know, out, outside of the defensive element you mentioned, was, was just that the offense just seemed to, you know, for the second straight week, seemed to call plays in a progression that made sense towards moving the ball, building momentum, and figuring out what the defense was going to do um, in each subsequent play and each subsequent set of downs. Um, I mean, obviously, those red zone issues, and we'll get to those, uh, are, are still, you know, lurking. But I, I really did like that the offense seems to understand who its top playmakers are, is willing to feature them, and is also willing to really utilize um, our, our running back depth now that everybody's healthy. And we saw... Uh, a decent dose of, of all five um, backs on Saturday. And what I want to see a little bit more of maybe is, is just is more, uh, you know, rushing plays all around. I know I noticed in the, the play calling breakdown today, uh, it was 35 uh, passes to 35 runs at the end of the game um, on 70 plays. That, but that said, um, you know, you had, you had a decent amount of, at least advantage toward passes um, for the first three quarters before the team just kind of, you know, went into run-out-the-clock mode um, in that fourth quarter where it was 12-4 in favor of rushes. So I, I like what I'm saying, but, but I do think that, that we need to run the ball a little bit more uh, just to take some of the pressure off, off Long, who, while he's doing a very good job, I don't want to see him get hit too much. Yeah, I think part of it might be that they're trying to get Long more in rhythm. So where this game was, you know, by the mid-second quarter, pretty, I wouldn't say it's in hand, but it didn't seem like Wake was really going to put forth a huge effort to win the game. You know, it was a decent opportunity to get Lawn some throws, get him, you know, more accustomed to the offense. And then obviously we basically burned a whole quarter 
um, running the ball. Actually, when we spoke at halftime in person, like it kind of went how we predicted um, that the, I think I said to you, like, I think the stats probably won't be as impressive as maybe the performance actually was. And while it wasn't a great offensive performance, um, part of it was the, uh, the pass interference call, uh, the, you know, it, for the Syracuse fans, probably the, the second biggest offensive pass interference of the day um, on the Steve, what would have been a beautiful throw to Steve Ishmael kind of hurts things a bit. But um, because that, I actually haven't even had, haven't seen that play since the game happened, but it seemed to be a kind of questionable, um, especially compared to the Notre Dame Florida State one, which I thought was a pretty obvious call. Um, that would have really, I think, made people feel a little better about it. But we also had multiple turnovers, which took away potential drives. Um, the fourth quarter was a wash. So while you know Syracuse only had 370 yards, which isn't huge, and Lawn only had 171 and and no touchdowns, you know he basically played three quarters, really more like two and a half quarters of true offense because of the turnovers and because of the super conservative play calling in the fourth. So I think the, uh, the box score is actually a little underwhelming compared to what it actually would have been had Syracuse really needed to put forth four quarters of real effort. Oh, agreed. And I think, you know, I tried to caveat that as much as possible um, when putting the play calling article together. I do think that, you know, for three quarters, it was, it was good. I, I think that, you know, it's partially helped by big plays again. And, and while I think last week um, against Florida State, we, we took some steps away from relying too much on big plays, um, I felt like we might have taken a small step back in the other direction this week. But, again, like, it's hard to judge, exa- like, all the full game of play calling when looking at the fact that the defense was able to put up 14 points on its own. And Wake really wasn't able to move the ball much. I mean, when games kind of, you know, wrapped up um, by the end of the third, you you do kind of find find a skewed uh, set of results. And you see in the the first half, I didn't, you know, do a full breakdown for the first half. It was just like bits and pieces of separating out the heads. Um, you do see a much more, much more stable offense, a much more um, efficient offense. I mean, that uh, that touchdown drive for long had to be, um, I think, the most efficient and effective drive, even, even with the penalties there, most efficient and effective drive that Syracuse uh, had all season, which is uh, insane to me that it's taken this long. But I think if you want to look at how to, at least the way forward um, for the offense, it's probably you know your, your first point of reference. Sorry, I had myself on mute. Um, yeah, I thought I had just unmuted myself, but apparently I did the opposite. Um, but it, it, as I was saying, it, uh, it, it that drive particularly, uh, in particular, really jumps off the page because it was 15 plays and 92 yards. But Syracuse is picking up the kind of chunk yardage that you come to see from these other uh, effective and efficient uh, spread offenses. I mean, these plays were going for, you know, fairly decent gains, and and even with the setbacks, they were able to able to overcome. Um, so it was really nice to see uh, two games in a row that the offense really moved the ball with, with a purpose against what again uh, it's hard to it's hard to really you know sell people on it who don't watch Wake Forest play that often but it is a pretty solid defense um, compared to the offense especially and you know probably a decent step down for what Florida State was but Syracuse you know treated both teams pretty similarly so. 
uh, definitely uh, I still think it was encouraging. It would have been nice to put up more than one offensive touchdown, but there were mitigating circumstances. Right. I mean, and we we were quick to praise, uh, you know, the Wake secondary before this game, and I think it's still worth doing so now. Um, They're a great group. It was just a question of, you know, and and one of the commenters actually brought this up. That was a great point. You had had a lot of motion. You had a lot of, you know, tight end sets were really getting Josh Paris involved. There were a lot of different looks and a lot of, it seemed like there was just a lot of, of different folds thrown in to confuse the defense, give along as many options as possible, and I think he took advantage. I think that's where, um, you know, while we're not going to sit here and, and say that, you know, in two weeks, as long as definitely taken over for Hunt, I think it's just more of a no, noticing that, that the play calling is allowing him to progress at a quicker rate in terms of those those reads. Um, one of the biggest, you know, hits on Hunt was, was through the end of the last year and the beginning of this year, was just always reading that, that quick screen that was rarely blocked for. And now, you know, it seems like Long has all these options out there. I mean, our receivers had, had a good size advantage on on the entire weight defense, especially those, you know, those cornerbacks. And I think that showed, um, obviously, you know, Ishmael's uh, increasingly act, more acrobatic catches uh, help, but that size advantage is huge, and it seems that um, Long already knows how to take advantage of it and allow um, – Allow people allow his receivers to really you know, put themselves in a spot of position where they're you know six two six three six four guys um, going up against five nine five ten corners. They definitely are uh, definitely look like they're, they're well set up for success out there and, and completely understand how to use that size advantage very early in this new offense. Yeah, I think if there's one thing, I think that we really that that Lawn and the offense really need to work on, and I think Hunt was a little guilty of this too. Um, on the zone read plays, we're very rarely seeing Lawn tuck and run, and I think that's where a lot of these like small two- and three-yard gains come from that we see with uh, with our bats up the middle. Um, I definitely think that, that learning how to read that play is something that all of our quarterbacks really need to develop because uh, it almost seems like they're deciding ahead of time. And Lawn has really been loath to pull the ball at all. Um, his Most of his runs have come on scrambles. So uh, that's something that needs to be more effective. Although when you compare it to what Wake was doing with his own read, which was, you know, uh, for whatever reason, they just that play for them is like a three-second delay handoff that doesn't trick anyone. Uh, it looked a little better. So um, hopefully that becomes a bigger tool because I think, I think where Hunt was – almost predetermined to throw the screen on that play, Lawn is handing it off like 75% of the time without actually seeing what the defensive end is doing or whoever the reading is doing. Yeah, I think I went into that in the play calling breakdown too. I think my one thing I noticed, well, I noticed a lot more play action this week, and that was just I think something's gradually going to be folded in. Like last week we saw hardly any play action. This week we saw some. I just want to see a, a better sell on the play action. That didn't happen under Hunt at all either, um, save the Central Michigan game. So I think selling on, the, on, on that play action, really, you know, um, exploiting the full range of possibilities on, on, on this uh, on this zone read, I, I do like I do like what, what what's coming, and, and I really like what um, what Tim Lester seems to be doing with his personnel. I think he gives us a very different look, and, and, and most importantly, I think I'm really looking forward to, um, you know, when the offensive line's fully healthy, 
And, uh, you know, if, if Esteem and, and Broiled are back this week, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pick up this or anything, but um, I, I think if you run last week's offense with those two guys as well, you have um, four legitimate uh, threats, and I think a lot of those screens that we saw headed out to running backs um, instead are, are, are sent out to the two H backs in Broiled and Esteem, and I think that's only going to make this offense even more dynamic and quick. Yeah, I mean, those are two of the – definitely two of the – five main receivers that we probably expected to get major run this year. Uh, he's probably already two of the three. I don't know if everyone expected Ishmael to be the number one receiver coming up, you know, right out of high school. But those two, along with West, were expected to be, you know, the main guys, and they've both been hurt. I think Brizzly especially is such a unique talent compared to the other guys on the team where most of our other receivers are kind of bigger, you know, possession-type players. Um I imagine that there's a lot of stuff drawn up for him in particular that we haven't been able to go to. Uh, so I, I'd be very interested, interested to see how Lester incorporates him, um, you know, compared to how McDonald used him last year or was using him earlier in the year. I think he's a really important player. So that should be uh, that should be something to look out for. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'll be honest. I haven't just – I have unabashed love for – for what Ishmael brings to the game. I know everyone's been talking about his gym rat and all this. But like, it, it, it's more than more than the physical gifts, and I think that you know you see it in these, these great catches that he makes. Um, it, it's it's truly in the the intelligence that he seems to bring to the game, and just his abilities to read abilities to read defenses, abilities to adjust his routes, his abilities to get himself in position to make a catch. Um, regardless of where he is on the field and where the defense is, he just—he's incredibly cerebral. I think that's that's right now being undersold, um, and I think we're going to see even more of it um, as as he progresses, as Long progresses. I mean, I, I at least from a series standpoint, I can't remember the last time I was I was this excited about um, you know a freshman receiver. Um, I know people kind of projected some of this onto onto Broyles when he first arrived on campus, but. He never really delivered on it as a freshman. I think you're seeing a much different thing from Ishmael. Yeah, I mean, some people are saying he's probably the best pure receiving talent since Mike Williams, but um, I don't. I wasn't around for Mike Williams' freshman year before he went AWOL. Um, but that's probably not far off because Ishmael just he so clearly knows he's so prepared, and he, his routes are, are tremendous. His catching is ability to catch the ball is fantastic. Um, you know, people who are quick to, like, find something wrong with a Syracuse player because they can't – none of them can just be good for some of our fans. Uh, we'll say he's not that fast, but I don't think there's anything to really back that up because he was running behind Florida State corners. I don't think he's a speedster like Esteem is, but he's also six foot two and really well built. So he just seems like the total the total package out at wide receiver and – it's incredibly exciting to, to uh, get at least three, probably four years out of him here. Uh, knock on wood, and nothing happens. But, you know, I've only heard good things about him off the field. We've seen all the articles about him being a hard worker. Doesn't seem to be any concerns there. So you never know what happens. But it, it should be a, a good stretch for him at, at SU. And, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if something happens with George McDonald at the end of the year, at the very least, he brought us uh, Ishmael and uh, Alan Edward, hopefully, made to campus, and, and Brizzly Esteem, so, among other guys. So it wasn't all for naught. We got some good players. 
No, absolutely, and I think that that's you know the big takeaway here. It's something that we're going to have to look into when when McDonald pretty much assumes leads. Is you know how do we get more of these guys and, and these guys? I mean, we we're capable of it, but I, I want to see I want to see how these guys allow us to bring in you know more similar talents um, into the program and, and how we can kind of you know continue to lay that foundation. Uh, to grab these quick players, these quick players, you know, like Phillips, like Ishmael, like Long, uh, et cetera, are, are going to be how we compete. And you're even seeing it just in, in year one um, of kind of a true ACC recruiting class um, out there. You, you're seeing how we don't look as overmatched against Florida State. We don't look as overmatched against Clemson, uh, um, hopefully. Well, yet to be seen, but yeah, I assume we, we won't. We shall see. But... Based on Clemson's offense this year versus last year, I would say, if nothing else, the game won't be the same level of out of hand. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're seeing a much more comparable team talent-wise, and I do like that quite a bit. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting, and, and I, I think a lot of that is the coaches have really settled in, um, especially on the defensive side. Like, we're just not being run out of the building um, – like we were in those three, the three games, especially last year, but even like the Northwestern game was pretty bad too. Um, I think, I think people haven't given, honestly haven't given Chuck Bull enough credit because people were ready for, to see him gone after that Georgia Tech game. And probably rightfully so, um, because that was a total disaster. And I still don't know what was be, what the thing, the thought process was there with all the things that went around, uh, went wrong in that game and changing the defense. But since then, um, you know, the Florida State blowout last year was what it was. Like, everyone was getting toasted by them. But he, we've competed really hard and really well against the teams that, A, the teams that we should be, and then this year, you know, we're not getting run out of games by any means. And, and with better offensive with better offensive performance, you know, Syracuse probably could have picked off one of these early losses this year. Um, I think that he's done a really good job bouncing back from – you know, he was clearly uh, in the middle of last season. He was definitely the coordinator that people were more uh, worried about. I think. I think McDonald was getting more benefit of that than him. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. And I think, you know, it's Syracuse fans are are in general going to be very back and forth on these coordinators. And I think the only thing that I think that that quiets the entire fan base down. I mean, ourselves included, uh, when it comes to questioning the staff, it is really wins. Um, getting the three and four is helpful. Get the four and four. I, I think that, that that would obviously give us a marquee win under Schaefer. Um, I think it would be a, a definitive check mark for what Chuck Bull is doing. I think it would be a definitive check mark for what Tim Luster is doing as well. Um, it would be a and, definitive mark in the PC column. It would be a definitive check mark in the Jordan Thomas leaving column. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Tim Lester's getting a giant contract. Uh, assuming it's not like a as three giant as, as giant as we'll do for uh, yeah. for yeah, like, for coordinating. You know, slightly below average ACC offensive coordinator. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Such is life. I feel like I feel like we're gonna get there. It's just while some some programs will say, 
you know, you need to spend money to get wins. Others will say, other fan bases will say, you know, you need to get wins for us to spend money. I don't think that there's a right and a wrong way to do it necessarily because there's obviously, you know, positive and negative cases on both sides of the argument. But, but that said, um, you know, we're going to need some more money dedicated to football. And that has to be done without taking away from the other sports, which we've gotten very successful at, obviously, outside of our traditional basketball lacrosse um, prowess. You know, we have a very, very good soccer team. We have a ranked women's basketball team now. We have a softball team that occasionally finds itself um, in the national conversation. So, and, and, you know, our track and field team has obviously gotten better each and every year the past few seasons. So I, I guess this kind of comes down to, to fans and boosters and, and everything else. And I think we've reached a point where, for series at least, we can't sit back and and say, you know, once the wins come, then we spend the money. I think at this point it needs to be, okay, we're on the cusp of breaking through. Now the money needs to get spent. It's definitely a concern. Um, I think after one of the, probably the Notre Dame loss, um, I was talking with someone, and we were just kind of like mostly joking around about trying to see what it would take to poach Mike Leach from Washington State. And uh, to remind you, I did not assume that Mike Leach made, like, a boatload of money because Washington State is nowhere, you know, they're not uh, significantly better. I'd probably argue they're a little lower on the food chain than Syracuse is. Um, Like, I mean, they're always going to be middle to bottom of the Pac-12. Scott Schaefer makes $1.4 million. Mike Leach makes $2.75 million. And his assistants got like a five hundred thousand uh, dollar like increase as a group last year. So like Washington State's ponying up to keep Mike Leach around, and Syracuse is paying Scott Schaefer, who um, is providing similar results, maybe in a, a weaker league, but still um, almost half of that, or a little more than half of that. So it's it's a huge concern, I think that, and, and something that definitely needs to be addressed. I, I'm not one to say, like, scrap all the Olympic sports at all. I really like what Dr. Gross has done for those, and I'm really proud of having a really good soccer team and a, and a good cross-country team and all those things. I don't want to see any of those uh, go away, but I think as a whole the school really needs to, you know, just say we need to invest in this football program. It will benefit the school monetarily and in, in many other ways if they – go out and say we're going to get the money together to get high-level coaching and keep high-level coaching. And uh, it's I'm, I'm not too optimistic that that's going to happen to the level that it needs to. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think that we're going to have to wait a couple of years for the, uh, the ACC money to be realized. I think that not that the, the athletic program has been operating at a loss, the answer hasn't, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I think I think these first couple of years are going to be used to kind of right-size the books, make sure that we're all set with all uh, all of our indoor practice facilities, et cetera. Um, obviously, we have some marketing to take care of, as per usual with Syracuse. But then from there, you know, I, I think that, that more money needs to be put into the coaching staff. And, and like you said, like Washington State is not above Syracuse on the national voting polls because 
but because they've been in a power conference longer, it's longer. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing just how far behind we are in terms of athletic spending um, and, and what that's going to take uh, for us to really, you know, jump into these conversations and jump into, uh, you know, a real competitive field. We're not uh, at current spending. If, if a coach leaves and, and you know, that's, that goes for Schaefer or Bayheim or anybody else. Um, we don't really have the resources to bring in an outsider, and, and that's not a good place for a program to be, especially in a power conference. Um, so I think you're going to have to see it, and, and I hope it's not. I hope the athletic department's hand is enforced here. I hope. I hope it really is. Um, hope it really is as a result of, you know, just a genuine move. To, to right-size everything, I think we'll find, we'll get better results, we'll be able to keep more of our talented coaches uh, rather than the other way around. Yeah, uh, and, and hopefully, you know, Schaefer can pull a couple rabbits out of his hat and get a couple of wins that, you know, maybe he shouldn't have on paper. Uh, that'll kind of boost things, but I'm also afraid that, you know, Schaefer will win nine games one year and we'll say, oh, this is working, so let's not, you know, it's not really, we don't need to invest more. So, I don't know. Hopefully we do the right thing. And, and the ACC money will start to kick in soon, and we've already seen it with the with the practice facility, which looks great. So maybe I'm just being a little pessimistic, but I, I do get concerned about these things going forward. Um, but you have to think that the $22 million that we're getting a year from the ACC will go somewhere, hopefully to reinvest in the athletic programs and, and get those up to where they need to be. Because there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to uh, to compare uh, to you know at least see the rest of the mid table of the ACC, if, even if we're never going to be Florida State on a consistent basis, which you know I don't expect. Yep, and I think you know what realism is is fine. I think you know as much as some may try, you and I are not ones to uh, not ones who can be accused of being negative about the program overall not supporting the program, I think we're we're one of a, a, a very vocal and very large contingent of very loyal um, series football fans. And and I think, you know, being a fan isn't isn't always about being positive either. It's about being the negative and, and it's just seeing where things can be improved and seeing how, hey, I really like what we're doing right now and I wanna see I wanna see more of it. I, I wanna see you know I, I want to see more ways that we can that we can apply this success elsewhere. So for me, you know, just 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 hoping, hoping, hoping that that, that we, we can take a lot of our recent success and, and the and conference earnings and put them all to good use. I think it's all it's in our best interest, in the community's best interest, in the university's best interest. Yeah, uh, it's you know it's not something to get too worked up about now, I guess, but uh, especially mid-season. But it is you know one of those things we have to think about. And it would help if we had a nice like Boone uh, Pickens type benefactor that'll just come in and spark the whole thing. That would be nice. So if any of you out there have tens of millions of dollars, just consider you know throwing a couple million to Syracuse Athletics and get this ball rolling. Cholton Joe Biden, let's do this, man. As soon as you're out of office, you can contribute away. Yeah, I'm not sure if he has the type of 
I don't know if Joe Biden money is getting us to the top of the ACC, but it'd be a start, I think. Joe Biden money right now, maybe not. But Joe Biden money when he's done writing his tell-all book about the Obama White House. Maybe. <laughs> and at know. that point, East football will really be able to say, thanks, Obama. <laughs> A meme realized. At this point, we're kind of at halftime. So before we dive into the most important part of the podcast, beer, um, just wanted to give another shout-out to our sponsor, Audible.com. Uh, to grow our news and absolute podcast, have it to be sponsored by Audible.com, the leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and info. Uh, they have over 150,000 titles to choose from over there, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're listening to it's on right now. So anything that can plug into a wall, has speakers, any of those things. And if you sign up at our URL, uh, audibletrial.com slash Noon's Magician. You can get one free audiobook and a free month-long trial of the service. Um, quick notes. Um, if you search Dabo on audible.com, you get some female erotica. So that's, that's, that's a good As you all imagine. There was nothing on Clemson or Tigers in particular, but since we're sort of in that realm, there are books about Tiger Woods. This is a sports podcast in the day. A couple of books you can find, In Search of Tiger by Tom Callahan, writes about how Tiger came to be, uh, who he is kind of in some ways. And then um, The Big Miss um, by Hank Haney, his years coaching Tiger Woods. Um, just kind of, you know, how he's a he's a very enigmatic person, and there's a lot of uh, a lot going on there. So, yeah, stuff about Tiger Woods, the golfers out there, the sports fans out there. But uh, yeah, what are you uh, what have you been drinking? Well, down in North Carolina, I was you know tried to keep it pretty North Carolina focused. Um, and there are a lot of great breweries down there. Uh, Foothills Brewing is in Winston-Salem. Uh, didn't get a chance to actually go to the brewery, which I heard is great, but I had a couple things from them. Um, I had the Cottonwood Pumpkin, uh, which, you know, fall, so appropriate, and it is pumpkin beer season, everyone, um, which is very good. Uh, one of the better pumpkins I've had that I, you know, hadn't had previously. Um, and then I had two beers that I, I rather enjoyed from Big Boss Brewing, which is out in Raleigh. Um, I had the Bad Penny, English Brown Ale, um, you know, nothing, nothing spectacular, but just a really solid brown, if, if that's what you're looking for. Uh, I don't, I like brown ales fine, but they're not generally one of my favorites, but it, it was definitely a, a solid brew. And then the Angry Angel, Angel Kolsch, um, was really good. Uh, one of the better things I had this weekend. Uh, so I definitely recommend that. Um, I've really grown to, to enjoy Kolsch's, which I feel like have kind of been picking up steam recently. Um, but this was this one was 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 pretty excellent, and that was also by Big Boss Brewing in Raleigh. Yeah, Big Boss is definitely is one of the more notable ones in Raleigh. Uh, they do have some good stuff. I didn't try anything from them this weekend, but I had plenty of others from North Carolina. Um, you're right on the cultures, though. I feel like a lot of people are kind of heading that direction. Um, 
because over the summer, I feel like a lot of calls with Blondell kind of getting tossed around. Um, I think as people try to attract more and more uh, craft beer drinkers, it's starting to, to kind of gear um, gear their brewing choices toward maybe the more casual uh, drinker, at least to start and kind of initiate them into into more daring choices later down the road, if I had to guess. Yeah, they're they're super drinkable, and a lot of the really good ones have been, you know, I, I can definitely see that being something that that gets people off of the normal macros stuff because they are they're very accessible. I think. Yeah. For me, I had a ton of stuff from down there. Um, probably my favorite of all was a Hop Burglar IPA from Wicked Weed, which uh, down in North Carolina. I had cruising through. Obviously, I had to have some pumpkin on tap down there. Um, had some hobbyum IPA from uh, Foothills Brewing. Foothills was oh, a lot, good. a lot of stuff down there. And uh, had to make sure that I, that I grabbed as many of those as possible. Also, had a very, very good um, stout from Deep River Brewing in North Carolina, a 4042. Uh, so, sweet milk stout. Absolutely delicious. Um, also grabbed Hop, Drop, and Roll from uh, Noda Brewing Company over in Charlotte and Jade IPA from Foothills, another uh, option. I had some other non-LA options, like LA, oh, not, sorry, North Carolina brews as well. I was down there. Some Bells, Two Hearted Ale, which is just a great selection that most people can find in their local markets. And Edna Fitzgerald uh, Porter from Great Lakes Brewing. I heard about some really great things about this one, and it did not disappoint. Um, for those who, if they're going down for games, whether it's uh, Duke or NC State or Wake or UNC, if you fly into RDU, uh, head over to uh, Follow Revolution RDU. It's in Morrisville, so it's like five minutes away from the airport. Um, walked out of there with like 10, 12-ounce bottles and cans for $19, which is insane to think about. Um, for me in California, but yep, got to do all that, um, and you know, my brother actually grabbed a bunch himself, not as much into beer, but still grabbed plenty, uh, so you have to look for anything North Carolina-based or, or anything in general from the, from the southern part of the country. Uh, if it gets to the NC, you'll find it there. Uh, just a really cool spot. Um, also was at uh, Duke University, uh, stopped over there uh, while I was kind of killing some time before I went to the airport on Sunday, so... Got to, I walked into uh, the Cameron Indoor, got to hear just how deafening it, it was. And it actually is, uh, I'll, I'll give the credit, it really is a very, very loud arena. I was just there for a, five minutes of a, of a women's volleyball game, and it was it was pretty much deafening, which is scary for uh, if you're trying to, you know, extrapolate that out to a basketball game. Fun trip down there, but uh, I didn't get to, to you know, Talk to too many people, the fan base, and like just some chats here and there. But you know, for for next year's road game that I find myself at, I'll be sure to do even more of that chatting with folks. Yeah, who do, do we have a uh, two North Carolina trips this year, or just NC State? Uh, I think it's just NC State. Double checking. Schedule. I don't know if we have, we won't have Duke, but I don't know if we have UNC next year. Nope, Virginia. 
Because that'll be a fun show. Actually, I I might pencil myself in for that one. At UVA next year? Yep. Oh, yeah. Florida State, Louisville, NC State, Virginia are ACC road games. That might not be a fun, that might not be a bad trip. I do. I want to try to go to Florida State, but it all depends. I do want to go to Tallahassee. What I need to do is just kind of like figure out where where friends are living and and kind of go from there. Having a free place to stay is usually my my, my first priority with these. Yeah. I also have to say, speaking on road trips, like the Syracuse representation in Winston Salem was fantastic. Like, I I reckon that at full at the the most or the the fullest that uh, BB&T Field was, which wasn't that full because Wake Forest is pretty abysmal. Um, I'd say we had a good twenty twenty five percent of the of the stadium, if not a little more. I might be being actually a little conservative there. And by the end, we had like half because a lot of people left. But the Syracuse fans were were really really excellent. We we took over like a good at least a third, if not a full half, of one of the two main bleacher sections. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I expected a lot of Syracuse folks. I was honestly surprised by the, the total volume there really was. Um, we, we came out in droves. You could see it. You could hear it um, throughout the state. I mean, maybe on the broadcast, but I um last night. It just heard a ton of let's go orange to the you heard Tons of cheers whenever Syracuse did something right. There was there was a great turnout. Even my dad, who um, was a Syracuse fan, just because I went there, um, and and he was even you know like floored by just how many Syracuse fans there. Not just how many were there, but how many you know incredibly passionate, incredibly informed, and intelligent um, SU fans were there. And, and you know, Wake fans were kind of were slightly chatty, but I was honestly a little surprised that. But they weren't more, I guess, chatty, or, or they just kind of checked out um, of the team by now. Yeah, they seem to be going through the motions for the most part. Um, they weren't like they were all the ones that we all we spoke to were all fine. They were nice, but they I think they are just kind of like you know we have tickets, so we should probably be here, I guess. But that's definitely a fan base that could use uh, use an uplifting uh, season or two. We'll get there. I mean, they are one of a short list of teams that won a, an ACC title game. And this is true. And you can never take that away from <laughs> We're almost at that statute of limitations for, for any NCAA violations. Uh, speak, I don't really want to – I was going to say speaking of, but then I realized how, how little I want to talk about any potential NCAA violations coming to Syracuse. So yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. No, we don't want to stir the stir the pot. All right. So we talked a lot about beer and the state of North Carolina and Wake Forest, but haven't really gotten into Clemson yet. So uh, what are your what are your early thoughts here? I know uh, I know they have a lot of injuries. We have a lot of injuries. DC um, really tested them last week. Is is, is this a potential? upset special or is that just kind of a pipe dream? Uh, I would say somewhere in between. I definitely think it could happen. I think we need to have no injuries this week. A.J. Long needs to have a really great game. Uh, the offensive line needs to have a really great game. 
Uh, and then the defense just needs to keep on doing what teams have been doing to the Cole Stout Clemson offense. But I wouldn't expect it. I do think that the Clemson line is huge. I think it opened at like 16 and a half. It's down to 14. So the money is definitely flowing towards Syracuse. Um, if you had asked me, I thought it would have been closer to like 11 or 12, considering Clemson can't store without Deshaun Watson. So I'm expecting a pretty competitive game. I'm worried that pretty competitive is that the Syracuse defense gives up like 14 points and then the offense just can't do anything. Um, but if the offense moves the ball at all against Clemson, I think we're going to have a ball game. I don't expect us to win in Death Valley the first time with freshman quarterback and uh, uh, OC in his third game and whatnot, but I think we'll have a very low double digits to high single digits team is my prediction. I think it'll be it'll be a very competitive game that, that Clemson just ekes out because their defense is really stifling. Yeah, I, I mean for me it's it's still interesting for me to have to, you know, kind of backtrack and realize like this this Clemson team is not last year's Clemson team and we're really we might actually benefit from uh, from a high-scoring game against this Clemson team uh, versus last year's. I mean, in general, offensive execution is, is going to be the, the big, 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 big takeaway uh, for Syracuse. If we can if we can do what we need to do on that side of the ball, actually, you know, push it not only into the red zone, which we seem very adept at, but getting into the end zone. That's going to be key. I think forcing forcing Cole Stout to make difficult passes um, would be a great great accomplishment for this defense. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it, like I said, it's going to come down to the offense. Uh, the defense will do what needs to. The offense needs to be able to get past the Clemson D. That is, I mean, we talked about it during the summer. Just lights out. One of the best pass rushing groups in the entire country. Um, Vic Beasley is a terror. We have not faced any. And a single pass rusher at, at his level, and I, I'm hoping for some good news in terms of offensive line injuries because if not, um, we're going to be down probably a receiver just about every play in order to pull in an extra blocker to, to take care of him and Crawford. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because they opened that, the season with that Georgia game, and Georgia was just at the height of its power at that point and ran all over them. But since then, the defense has been exactly who we thought they were going to be entering the season. Like they are, they are. I think I, I don't think it's crazy to say they're easily the best unit in the ACC. Um, they're better than Florida State. They're probably better than Notre Dame, which is a really good defensive team. They're. I think Louisville's probably right behind them, but I, I would take Clemson a good head above any of those teams defensively. Um, offensively, they've just been struggling, which I think is going to be the reason why Syracuse stays in it. But. Uh, if we can move the ball against Clemson and store a little bit against Clemson, I think we have something here. That's a big if, though. Yeah, I mean, my big question for Clemson's offense, and I think that they'll be able to throw, because I do think Cole Scout, Cole Scout's able to throw the ball, I think his, his lack of mobility compared to Deshaun Watson has really been probably his biggest Achilles heel, um, because it adds an extra dimension to that offense, but yeah, well, what I want to see now is can this team actually move the ball on the ground? I mean, we saw what happened to the Wake Forest team that that was could move the ball on the ground early in the game against us, or for the most part was relegated to the pass, and that led to you know 
a lot of incompletions, uh, John Walter getting injured. Um, I, I am very curious to see if they can find a way to move, to, to move the ball on the ground, because otherwise, um, if left to rely on the passing game, not that our, our, our secondary is, is any good, but if, if, you, if you let Syracuse blitz five to seven on every play, you will get hit, and it will cause a turnover to almost by default. Yeah, that would be my main concern if I was a Clemson fan, is that they don't run the ball that well to begin with, and now Adam Choice is, is almost definitely going to miss the game. If, oh, no, he tore his ACL, so yeah, he's, miss, he's missing the game unless something miraculous happens, um, and he was their leading rusher. So I don't know. I think the things are lining up on defense for Syracuse to kind of get Clemson where it wants it. Um, the problem is that I think Clemson say exactly the same thing, and even with both of those things being true, Clemson still has the senior quarterback with you know who's won a couple games, and and their defense is just so talented. They definitely have the edge there by a large margin. So it'll be an interesting one. I don't expect uh, a reboot of what we saw last year against Clemson, um, which goes along with how Syracuse has played against all these powerful teams that they lost to by big margins last year. So I, I wouldn't say we're going to win, but I think it'll be another performance where. You know, some people will be saying, what if? Others will be taking away good things. Um, and then we just got to win three of the last four. So, uh, bid, Wake Forest was a big one. Uh, and glad we, we won that one handily because um, this game I, I don't feel as confident about. But definitely not uh, the mountain to climb like it would have been if Watson was healthy. Oh, if Watson was healthy, I mean, forget about it. And, and, I saw uh, it was on a, it was on the selection committee um, over on SB Nation where they were talking about you know like some some sleeper teams who could potentially get themselves involved in, in a playoff conversation and the one team that, that that came up very briefly but like without without any uh, time really paid on it was, was Clemson. I mean, do you think that? in a season where everyone has some caveats that they can kind of throw uh, toward their candidacy for the playoffs, do you think that that Clemson is one of those, considering all the injuries they've dealt with, how close they were against Florida State, um, that this could be a potential... I mean, if they, if they beat us, if, if they get themselves healthy by end of the year, does this look like a team that could potentially challenge, if not for one of the top four spots, um, for a big money bowl? Um, maybe a big money bowl. Maybe they could slip in like they did last year, even though last year's team was much was much better. I just think there's too many teams in the race now for a two loss Clemson team that got smoked by Georgia, um, and that is fighting all these injuries to to really get in there because I mean there are a good how many one loss teams are there that are legitimately good teams, like eight or nine? Um if most, it's probably more. There's probably ten or eleven or twelve now if you count like Kansas State who's on the fringes a bit, and Duke, who's on the fringes, and Arizona State. Um, I just think there's too many teams ahead of them at this point. Uh, unless they just start, unless Watson comes back and they start blowing the doors off of people and a bunch of these one-loss teams lose, um, which, you know, I, I imagine most of them will, will lose another time during the season, but I don't know if enough of them will. Um, it's just hard to fathom them getting back in the conversation for the playoffs. I think at this point, and, and we're kind of seeing, I think a lot of people hope for, myself included, is 
We're, we're seeing a very, very um, muddled picture um, as far as the playoff goes. You know, a little more than halfway through the season, and what I want to see now is the two starts separate themselves. I mean, there's so many one-loss teams that have that have a legitimate claim um, based on results. I mean, Arizona, Oregon, Washington. Uh, no, sorry, not Washington. Uh, Michigan State, um, Auburn, you know, Kansas State. Even Ohio State. All of these. Ohio State, I don't buy. I, I, I don't know. If, if they beat Michigan State, I think they have a very good case. See, to me, I, they don't have the strength of schedule. And you lost at home to Virginia Tech. That's true, but I think they'll get some credit because uh, their quarterback is, is progressing a lot. It all, I mean, there's so much time left, it's stupid to argue it now. I know that's the entire, like, what the entire industry is based on at this point, but um, I don't know. I think the people who think that, like, the, the people who argued against the playoffs, uh, because they think it would devalue the regular season, are looking ridiculous right now because it's so much more exciting to talk about at least 12 teams at this point than just Florida State and the SEC West winner, which is basically what it seemed like it was going to come down to. So, I mean, the fact that we can still talk about a team that is, you know, maybe started the season off poorly or had a bad loss early or, you know, had injuries and has come back and become this really good team – like Ohio State seems to be, like I just think that's that's good for the sport, and I I, I think that I mean I'm I'm so excited to see how this all plays out because there there are so many teams still alive and a team like TCU is still alive. TCU has a great great chance to win the Big Twelve now, and that would get them in a really good spot to make make this Final Four. And they're an awesome team that would be shut out um, if this was still the old system. Agreed. And I think, you know, you saw a lot of one-loss teams um, get into the final uh, BCS conversation in the past. Um, but what we're seeing now is, yeah, it's, it's an evolving week by week, you know, which teams play themselves into into consideration, which teams play themselves out. Um, I do think that there's a lot more time to go in this season. Um, and, and what I don't want to see, and I think you, you alluded to it earlier, is I don't want to see this sort of um, progression toward, okay, like Florida State goes undefeated, it does Notre Dame go undefeated, and then, like, who wins the SEC West with one loss or, or less? Um, meanwhile, like, the Big Ten seems to, you know, beat itself to death, same with the Big 12, and same with the Pac 12. And, and I would hate to see in year one that the same things that happened in the, B, in the BCS era are happening again in the playoff era, and that is if you're not in the SEC or you're not an undefeated team, um, you, you don't really stand much of a chance just because of, of, of conference strength of schedule. I mean, this year seems like a perfect opening test to see just how much strength of schedule matters. Yeah, it's still all such a – I mean, we, I think we feel like we bring it up every week, but it's still a huge mystery just based on – the fact that we just haven't gone through the process before. And it'll start, I think some of these questions will start getting answered once the committee releases their top 25, uh, I believe after next weekend's games, or this coming weekend's games. Um, then we'll kind of have a better sense. But I just, you know, I'm just happy that there's more doors open so we can really, we don't have the issues like we saw with, 
you know, Auburn in 04 and, and some of these other teams that legitimately had a claim to being the best team and that we just, you know, they just were shut out for whatever reason. Um, you know, I still think that six or eight would be a, be a more ideal number eventually, but four is definitely a good a good start. And I think the, the transition to a, a slightly larger playoff will be quicker than it was to get from two to four, which took entirely too long. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I still think that we're going to be sitting around at at four for quite some time. At quite some time, might be ten to fifteen years. But I mean, you're going to see a better transition than, than the first one because honestly, I don't think you can. I don't think anyone can wait as long as as what we saw. You know, the the hundred plus years it took to get to to this point. I don't think anyone's happy with that much. We're not changing because it's always been this way anymore. But I, I do think it's a great way to change the conversation around college football. I think we're seeing a much different, um, seeing the same conversation around teams. But I think that that it has quieted a lot of people who thought that the regular season didn't mean anything. That the regular season means more. Um, and I think just jockeying or position and, and to have some real. You know, where there's not just that, that two-team cutoff, I think you're seeing a lot. Um, I think you're definitely seeing a lot more intrigue, a lot more excitement. Um, having those extra teams involved, too, like like you said, having a TCU team that lost on the last second field goal, um, you know, not be relegated to, oh, I wonder if we're going to play, you know, in the Sugar Bowl this year or whatever. Like, that's, it's very good to see them not have to deal with that anymore, even if it ends up being the case by the end of the year. At least there's an excitement and a, a palpable, you know, just just week by week stress of what happens next. Yeah, and I would argue that it would also you you wouldn't have the issue with Notre Dame losing on a last second thing that was apparently controversial. But then their fans decided to just complain nonstop, and Ryan Kelly decided to only talk about that one play and sound like an idiot. So I actually don't feel bad about them anymore. I hope they don't make it. <laughs> Like if they just taken that loss with like uh, an ounce of grace, I'd be like, you know, it'd be kind of interesting if Notre Dame made the Final Four. Nope, <laughs> not, not at all. Like there's, they're making like half of them think that Procise was called for the penalty, and he wasn't. Like it's ridiculous, and they're still complaining about it. And it's Tuesday, so I hope they lose to Arizona State because I like Arizona State this year. I do like Arizona State. I saw that thing that Game Day uh, posted on Twitter earlier that said, you know, should be. Should the pass interference call be considered um, at the committee? And like, but this is the problem. Like, I, I hate to say it, but the ESPN is part of the problem. That, that it's just this these nonsensical, like, mini arguments. That, that that's what makes that's the only thing that makes me regret some of the playoffs, um, you know, results here. Is that that it also, as much as it provides excitement for us fans, it also, you know, lets was reckless media outlets at times really like just create these non issues like ESPN is doing with with, with this past interference call and like no no the uh, the committee should not consider that because why would they because there's no reason for them to and, and it's just it's puzzling why why that would even come up as as something like every team has a has a what a should have cut a loss or several I mean Syracuse can attest to that um, it, it's confusing to me why why the, the sports' largest, you know, media partner would would even dive into those waters. 
It annoys me because you could very easily make the argument that the committee could consider Notre Dame on the basis that it lost by four to a great Florida State team at Florida State and almost won in the last play. And it's you know kind of the same argument as did they get screwed, but you don't go into the whole part about like uh, that that brings up conspiracy nonsense. Like it was clearly the right call. It sucks that it was called you know to end the game, but. Notre Dame now, I, I was telling like my the family I was with this weekend, two of them uh, went to Notre Dame. Uh, their whole that whole side of the family is Notre Dame crazy um, for that reason. And I was I watched the game with them, and I said like you know it's not that you lost, but with the playoff now, you can now you know the argument will be Notre Dame was this close to beating Florida State at Florida State. Whatever happened in that play, whether it was just an incompletion or a penalty or whatever, is inconsequential. It's still a loss. Florida State still, I mean, Notre Dame still has a really good argument to being one of the top four teams, but instead they just won't let go of that penalty, which was, again, not the wrong call by any stretch. He, the defender was getting drive-blocked into the, into the end zone. So, I don't know. It annoys me that people just are, are making such a big deal of that, and I guess there is definitely a, an ESPN factor on that, but it, it, I don't know. The whole thing drives me nuts. It was just such a ridiculous amount of noise about that play, which I thought was not nearly the most controversial penalty we've seen even that weekend. No, I completely agree there. And and like you said, I, I do kind of... I wouldn't mind some conversation around around Notre Dame getting in. I don't think it's a stretch to say they should. But, um, yeah, I, I think we can all have that conversation without... Um, Without the oh, did that, you know, did that penalty affect it or not? Yeah, it's just um, that Get over it. <laughs> it's, especially with Notre Dame, who has been on the benefit of so many things and has such a, a machine around it, NBC contract, the independence thing. Like, no one's screwing Notre Dame over. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Yeah, that's not not a type of conspiracy that college football would ever exact on anyone because. Let's face it, Notre Dame doing well um, benefits the sport, whether we all like it or not. Yeah, I mean, you just look at the ratings. Like, It was the highest-rated game since 2012, and the game that was higher rated than it in 2012 was Notre Dame-USC. So, like, clearly college football, want, you know, it won't go out and say it, and I don't think there's a conspiracy either way, but clearly it's in the best interest of college football people for Notre Dame to be good. So the fact that Notre Dame, you know, is or is not a, you know winning a certain game? I don't think uh, I don't think you can make the argument that that people are trying to keep Notre Dame back. I'm sure the Alabama Notre Dame ratings were amazing, and we all saw how that turned out. So, uh, you know, Notre Dame I think gets as many benefits of the doubt, if not more, than anyone else. I completely agree. And before we wrap up for today, um, obviously everyone's going to be watching Syracuse at Clemson on ESPNU at. 7 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, but what's one other game any day of the week that you are also looking forward to, Dan? Oh, give me one sec. I haven't even looked at this, the slate this weekend. Um, yeah. Just give me a minute. Um, definitely uh, definitely going to be checking out uh, ECU Connecticut on Thursday night. I'm sure that'll be uh, close. Um, <laughs> besides that, uh, I think Oregon Cal on Friday will be fun uh, if you like points. Um, I think 
that well, there's a lot of just junk games this weekend. Uh, West Virginia, Oklahoma State can be fun. Um, I want to see Mississippi State again just because I enjoy watching that team. And they're playing a pretty decent Kentucky team, although Kentucky got run by LSU this weekend. Um, I think USC, Utah could be pretty fun. Like people haven't really given Utah a lot of attention, but they're they're five and one. They're ranked 19. They're actually ranked ahead of USC now. Um, that should be a good one. The Pac-12 games are always great. Like I'll stay up for any Pac-12 game at this point because even if the, the level of football isn't like that like high uh, on a different game, like a Washington State Cal game or something. Like you're gonna, you know, you're gonna see a bunch of big plays and a lot of points. So, like a bad Pac-12 game is instantly better than like a bad anything else game. Washington State and Cal was so much fun. I remember, um, I purposely like DVR'd it um, because I knew it was just gonna be an entertaining game. And like, you know, you, you know, you're a football junkie when you're DVRing uh, Washington State Cal, <laughs> and that was at the uh, at the Dodgers NLDS game a couple weeks back. And I got back and just, like, binge-watched the whole thing. I mean, it was just such a, a blast of a game. Um, and you brought up, I mean, the game I was going to highlight, the USC-Utah matchup at, a, at 10 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'm down. And then, then Arizona State-Washington, which should also be a pretty interesting one. I actually haven't seen Washington play yet. And that's, like, uh, there are, like, five or six power conference teams I haven't seen, and they're one of them, so... I might have to check that one out, too, and it's not Pac-12 Network, which is nice. Um, that starts at 1045 Eastern, and then we have a midnight uh, Hawaii kickoff as well. So lots of football this weekend. Boom. Yeah, I will be, I'll be watching all of those because I get to watch them three hours ahead. Fuck <laughs> you. I stayed up for that Washington State-Cal game, and I don't get Pac-12 Network, so I had to be, a, you know, kind of adventurous to find it on the Internet. Um, so that was my dedication to watching uh, Connor Halliday both break a, a huge record and also lose. You'd kill it for me in fantasy that week. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it, that was, I, I, I should, probably shouldn't, like, admit that, that I stayed up for that game, but I did. <laughs> it ended at about 2.30 a.m. here. It's not later. At least it was a Saturday, though. I'll go to Sunday night. That's true. I don't work on Sundays either, so that was fine. Yeah, I think, if you're looking at this late, USC really should have been able to host. I mean, Utah really should have been able to host game day this week. And it's kind of a bummer that they went with yet another SEC game. Because I know I had that theory, like, you know, a month or so back that that SEC Nation would kind of allow some other schools to, to jump in and teams are quite the opposite. That uh, the SEC is going to keep hosting until uh, until we get to the national championship game. Or Florida State. <laughs> Or Florida State, which is basically an SEC team. Um, don't say that. Utah's don't never don't want them to leave. True. I don't want them to leave. Uh, Utah's never hosted, to my knowledge. Um, so I think that would have been kind of fun for them. I mean, you know what we all said last year? Like, they were a lot of fun to watch. Um, they upset Stanford, and it was like one of those, like, it was probably one of like the bigger, like, you know, what the F losses last year uh, for, for a power team. Um, and I think Utah earned it, and it's, it's definitely a bummer. The fact that tickets are the lowest ticket on StubHub right now is 87 bucks for, for that Utah USD game, which is nuts when you just consider like that it's Utah, and it's not like a typical 
price tag for their games. Yeah, they're a fun they're a fun team to watch. I mean, especially if you like like those spread to run type teams, um, which is ostensibly what we are trying to be um, for the most part. They're they're a good one. Them and uh, it's funny because like before the season, I wrote something um, about like the I uh, ranking the teams that moved in expansion, and like Utah and TCU were two of the ones that just hadn't really lived up to the billing. Where like I wasn't quite sure what they delivered off the field and on the field they hadn't done much since moving. Um, and both of those teams were lighting it up. And TCU might be my favorite non-Syracuse team to watch this year. And Utah, I haven't seen quite as much of them, but they're, they've been really fun so far. Uh, and they've played mostly close games, which doesn't hurt. Um, they're a point, a point away from being undefeated. So uh, I, I, I actually really like them in NCUSC this weekend. It should be a, a fun, I'm sure it'll be a really uh, good atmosphere there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. All right, well, on that note, uh, I guess we could end it there. You know, there's still of us for, for an hour and change tonight. Yeah, always always good. It was a, I thought we, we were mostly on on, uh, on point tonight, too. A lot of Syracuse talk. Yeah, except for that last, like, 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah but people, I mean, we left at the end, so if people like college football but beyond the orange, they can stick around and look at us. About talk about everyone else, which you should watch. Uh, football football's great. Sure, there hasn't been an ECU tangent in a while, but we might have to get to that next week if things go poorly against Clemson. You never know. <laughs> yeah, well, ECU's going to win about by about seventy-five against UConn, so I'm sure we can find find some time for them after this game. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, thanks again for joining, Dan. Always appreciate you uh, coming hanging out for an hour. Of course, of course. Happy to do it. And everyone, I wanted to thank you for listening to Troy Noon's and Absolute Podcast. I'm John. That was Dan. Uh, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe on Blog Talk, on iTunes. Um, all those things are helpful for us. Be sure to head over to audibletrial.com slash newsmagician to uh, grab yourself a free audiobook trial. And uh, we'll see you next week. Go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com.